Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 3. Today, I want to speak to you from this text on the subject of the secret to triumph over sin. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Now, once you find it, mark in your Bible, the three key words, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Now, the focus of this message is that obedience to God's instructions without regard to consequences or with our feelings or passions leads to the development of habits of triumph. This is a principle stated by observation in life and by divine inspiration this is a principle that teaches us how to turn our lives around when we're bogged down in sin. It may be the sin of anger or greed or jealousy. It could be the sin of lust or it could be envy. It could be dishonesty. It could be a foul tongue. It could be a, a tongue of criticism and complaint and murmuring. But how do I turn this around? If Christ died for my sins and has forgiven me of my sins, then how can I have victory? Or do I have to yield to sin and live a slave to sin for the rest of my life? And the answer by virtue of this eternal principle stated here is the answer is no. We do not have to keep living in the same sin. Now, I am not uh, propounding that you will become perfect and will never sin again. I am saying that Christ died so that we could have victory over sin. Now, look at the three key words. Underline the word works. Your New International Version will have something like this. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will succeed. But that's rather uh, superficial in the way it looks at the verse. The idea of works is anything that is action. In fact, the word means transaction also. It, it specifies relationships, dealings with others. Commit our works, our life, our relations, our actions and transactions to the Lord. And our thoughts, our thoughts. The Hebrew word is imagination, devices, intentions, motives, our thoughts, our imagination will be established. Now, the third word is established, and it means in the Hebrew, it comes from a very primal root that means to be erect, to stand up, to be appointed, or to be rendered certain. So, if I commit my works to the Lord, my thoughts and intentions and motives will be established, will be appointed or made certain, will be tracked. So now this is the practical way the Lordship of Christ works in our lives. I hear what God wants me to do. I, with my mind, I decide that I'm going to obey it. And the result is my feelings and motives and intentions, which could be sinful or passionate evil desires, are gradually brought over here under the captivity of Christ, under the Lordship of Christ, because I have committed my works to the Lord. I am doing what God has instructed me to do. 
I remember being in Fortaleza, Brazil one time, and I was uh, speaking at the uh, North uh, Brazil Mission. And uh, an old missionary told the story of uh, taking a recruit on a long trip down a very muddy path. And he was taking him to a village where they had established an outpost. And they ran into a mud hole and got bogged down. And the missionary said to the new rookie, he said, all right, take your shoes and socks off, roll up your pant leg. We're going to have to get out and dig this out. And so they got out, dug their way out of the mud, pushed the vehicle out. They cleaned up. They put their shoes and socks on, rolled the pants back down, took off again. And not long after that, they came on another mud hole. And they got bogged down in that one. And he said, okay, we've got to do it again. Take your shoes and socks off. Roll up your pant leg. Let's dig ourselves out. Let's push the vehicle out. And he said they did that, got out of the car after they got the car from the mud hole. They cleaned up their feet, their, put on their shoes and socks, rolled the pant leg down. And he said uh, uh, they took off down the road. And not long after that, they saw another mud hole. And the rookie missionary grabbed his arm and said, stop, stop right now. And he said, well, why do you want me to stop? He said, let's get out and fill in this mud hole for us before we drive through it and before we get stuck in it. And he had said each time after they pulled the vehicle out, they had filled the mud hole for somebody else. It was time to take care of their own mud hole. Now, folks, that's what this principle is about. This principle is about what do we do when we're in the bog of sin and we are in the mud hole of sin and we cannot get out? Do we just have to yield to sin? Do we just go on as a servant to sin with its mastery over us? Or is there a way out? Now, first, let me state the principle generally. The principle generally, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Now, what this means, if I'm going to restate it in its richest form, is to do what God has instructed me to do, and my thoughts and my intentions will be established to carry that truth out over and over again. Here is my life. I know what God wants me to do. Here is what my flesh wants me to do. This is what my feelings lead me to do. I bring myself under the Lordship of Christ and obey His truth. I commit myself to obedience. And when I do that, God produces intentions and motives that are established. He reestablishes. He straightens out. He brings my feelings and my intentions over under His will so that now I want to do what God wants me to do. And the battle gets less and less as I bring that passion, that feeling more and more under the Lordship of Christ. Now, there are three ways, three practical ways in life that that happens. One is we use this principle to confront our fears. I believe that if you've got a fear, it needs to be confronted. So what does God command me regarding this fear? Let's take the fear of witnessing. Uh, many of us are very shy. We're private people. We feel like that's an intrusion on somebody else's life. So we have a, a disinclination to witness. We have a fear about it. Now, the way to overcome that fear is to commit your work to the Lord. You make up your mind. God wants us to witness in a way that fits our personality. We commit our works to the Lord, and as we go ahead and do what God commands us to do and confront our fears, 
our thoughts and motives and intentions are established over here under the command so that now we're under even our feelings and our motives are under the lordship of Christ. When you don't feel like doing something out of fear, you do it. And when you do it, God gives you power and under the lordship of Christ establishes your feelings and your motives. A second instance when we use this principle is when we counter our feelings. There are many, many things that I do that I don't feel like doing. Did you know there are some Sunday mornings I don't feel like coming to preach? I get up and I don't feel like... Now, uh, you wouldn't want me to come and preach and be a hypocrite, would you? Would you want me to preach if I don't feel like preaching? Can you imagine my calling a deacons on Sunday morning at five minutes till eight and saying, look, I don't feel like preaching. I would be a hypocrite to come and preach when I don't feel like it. How many of you agree? Watch, watch. How many of you would agree that I would be a hypocrite if I came and preached when I didn't feel like it? But you know what's amazing? When I take action to commit my works to do what God has called and commanded me to do, He takes care of my motives, my feelings, my passions, my intentions, and he lines them all up. By the middle of the 8 o'clock service, I'm feeling like Billy Graham and W.A. Criswell all rolled into one. And so I go on and commit my works to the Lord, and God establishes my thoughts. In a thousand ways in life, that is true. Now, I understand that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. There is a cycle which goes in that direction. I think, I plan, and do. But this is much more than that. When I'm bogged down in sin, I come the other half of the cycle, and I do what God calls me to do. And as a result, my, my thoughts and my motives are established in obedience to God. And now that's the way we gain victory over sin, one sin at a time. The third way this principle is used in our lives generally is that it converts our faith. I mean, there are times when we have to take a stand to do something, and we believe in something, and we worry about the consequences. But if I do this, what will happen to me over here? If I do that, what will happen to me over here? Uh, I was uh, uh, told one time that uh, a certain country club had a free membership for me. They like to have ministers on their on their, on their, uh, in their membership. And I thought, well, that's good. I could go to the country club. How many would like a free membership to the country club? I didn't hear anything about it, and I didn't hear anything about it, and I didn't hear anything about it. And finally I asked, and I discovered that somebody had scotched my nomination because I had taken a stand in two liquor-by-the-drink referenda here in, in Winston-Salem. And you know, when I took my stand, I didn't stop to think, well, now, I wonder if I will lose a country club membership if I take my stand. I did what I felt God wanted me to do, and I turned the consequences to God. Now, that's what I mean when I say we must convert our faith. Our faith must be put into action without regard to the consequences. And we take out a step to commit our works to the Lord, and our thoughts are established. Our motives are established. Our intentions are established. So that what happens is that our passions, our evil passions, are gradually brought under the Lordship of Christ. Christ died to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, but He also died so that we could have victory, and He died so that we could be crucified to the flesh, and that old passionate flesh could be brought over here under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's the principle stated generally. 
Secondly, let me state the principle specifically. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So let's let the New Testament reveal this principle. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7, if you would, and uh, let me show you what I mean by that. Romans chapter 7. And here in Romans chapter 7, we have a very clear description of your life and mine. And it's amazing how accurate it really is. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking about himself. In verse 21, he says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched men that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now watch this. Paul says, the law of my mind wants to do the will of God. My mind receives God's truth. My mind receives God's Word and wants to obey it. But about the time I think I want to obey it, I discover that within me there is the sin principle, the flesh principle. And that flesh principle wars against the law of my mind. So that even though I want to do what is right, I wind up doing what is wrong. So with the mind, he said, I want to serve God. Look at verse 23. Uh, there is a law in my members warring against the law of my mind. I go through that almost daily. This morning, I did something I really shouldn't have done. It didn't affect anybody else. But I thought to myself, now, courts, why did you do this? Uh, just a dumb thing. And I stopped and preached to myself for a moment. And I thought, now, there's a, a battle going on within me. And that battle is taking me against the law of my mind, against the law of God. See, with my mind, I receive the Word of God and the truth of God. It's in my mind. That's where it first resides. And with my mind, I decide to follow Christ or not follow Christ, follow truth or not follow truth. But there's always this, this evil passion within us that is war, at war. When Christ saves you, He forgives you of your sin. And He makes possible victory. But you have to appropriate that victory. Christ died so that you could be dead to sin. But we appropriate that death to sin. So with a mind, I decide to do the will of God. Now look at verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Boy, doesn't that sound like us, Larry? I mean, what I do, huh? why am I doing this? I've said some things, I wondered, where in the world is my mouth? Why did I say that? For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. And what I hate to do, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. 
For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, and the evil I will not to do that I practice. And if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I stood at junior high camp Wednesday night and listened to these precious middle school young people make commitments to Christ about quiet times and all of that. And I thought to myself, that's great. But, oh, it's one thing to make a decision. It's another thing to carry it out. Paul said, to will is present. And by the way, young people, that's just as true for adults. It's just as tough for us. We make decisions about things we're going to do. To will is easy. But how to carry it out is another thing. So now we see, in the mind, I receive the truth of God, and I want to do the will of God. I will to do it, but something is in me holding me back. Now watch, we're creatures of mind and will and emotion. So with my mind, I receive the truth of God. With the will, I decide I'm going to do it. Commit thy works to the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Now that leads me to the third thing in Romans 7, verse 5. Now watch this. Paul says, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions... The sinful emotions. Now, by the way, all emotions are not sinful. There are some good emotions. Amen? I mean, can you name some? I can think of many good emotions. But there are sinful passions which were aroused by the law. They were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. And Paul goes on to explain that sinful nature, the sinful passions in us were aroused by the law. And he says up here in verse 7, is the law sin because of that? No. He said, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Now, every one of us has experienced that. Here, <laughs> we, we've, we've received what God wants us to do. With a, with a will, we made up our minds to do it. But here is sinful passion that has been aroused by a command. Now, we've all experienced it. When somebody wants to tell me what to do, I have this terrible inclination to do exactly the opposite. Now, I could blame that on my genes and probably be justified, or I could take responsibility for it and say, courts, why are you like that? How many of you are like that? When somebody tells you what to do, you want to do exactly, is anybody else like this? Do you have the same problem I do, and you're not ashamed to admit it? When somebody says you need to do it that way, the first thing in me is don't tell me what to do. I want to do it this way. That's a natural reaction. Paul says the law says thou shalt not covet, and it it aroused evil desires in me. It said thou shalt covet. (laughs) Those are the things, those are the passions. Now, if if we get evil passions and we follow our feelings, we are going to be in trouble, and we will be forever slave to sin because the sin will control us by arousing evil feelings, and then we think we have to obey those feelings, and we sin, and we stay in sin. But when we follow Christ, we take the truth of God, receive it in the mind. By an act of the will, we commit our works to the Lord, 
And we do what God has commanded us to do, whether we feel like it or not. And as a result, God produces feelings and motives and passions in us to do His will. It's one of my, one of my benchmarks in my life. And I'm ashamed to tell you this, but it's true. Standing down at Eckerd's one Saturday morning when I had two weddings to do. And I was standing in line. And there were 14 people in that line. Now, I confess, I am not a very good waiter. I don't like long lines. I read in Consumer Reports that if you go to a fast food place... And there are more than three cars at the drive through window. It's faster to go in than to sit in the line. So I go up to Wendy's or wherever, and if there are more than three cars, I stop and park and go in. I don't. I'd rather be using my time to park the car and walk inside than to be sitting in a line. Now, I know some of you are like that because I've seen you do it. Okay, I'm standing in line, and everybody is using their credit cards and writing checks and getting four. Can I have four identification, please? Will you give me your driver's license, your social security? You know, and it was taking forever. Now, I'm, I've worked my way down to number nine in the line, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this little old lady in red tennis shoes come in, and she goes right to the shelf to get what she wants, and guess where she goes? She goes right to the front of the line and breaks the line. Now, I am a mature pastor. I am filled with the Spirit. I have read my Bible. I have had my devotions. I've yielded everything to the Lord. I have surrendered all to Him. But I'm going to tell you the truth. There, something happened inside me in that moment. It was very warm. It started right about here. And it worked its way all the way up here. My heart beat faster. My neck got red. And I stepped out of line in order to tell that woman where she could go. That really ticked me off. And suddenly, when I stepped out of the line, I realized, you know, when you've had gray hair since you were 32, and you can be highly visible. And everybody in that line looked at me to see what I was going to do. And when I saw them looking at me, the Holy Spirit used those looks to rein in my sinful passions, which were about to produce some very negative fruit, and said, hush your mouth and step back in that line and don't you say a word. And I took a long, deep breath and stepped back into that line and held my peace. But I'm telling you, if it hadn't have been for the Holy Spirit, I would have let her rip, and it would have been not good. And uh, where I was going to tell her to go, of course, was the back of the line. But <laughs> our mind takes in the truth, our will makes a commitment, and God produces the fit. But any time... Our feelings get in front of the mind and the, and the will. Anytime our passion leads us, it is liable to be an evil passion produced by your response to sin. And I'm warning you, stop right there and recycle your thinking until you come to the Proverbs 16.3 principle, commit thy works to the Lord 
and thy thoughts shall be established. If your sinful passions lead, here's what happens. The law gives you a knowledge of sin. It arouses sinful passions. You let your passions determine your actions, and then your actions or your behavior will reflect your passions and lead you to defeat, and the devil will cover you with guilt until you are paralyzed by it. But when I practice the Proverbs 16.3 principle, my mind receives God's truth, the will decides to obey, and godly emotions follow and produce victory and a sense that I have pleased the Father, and that's the way we gain triumph over these little sins which beset us. Let's state the principle thirdly, illustratively. Third, state the principle illustratively. All right, let's take uh, Matthew chapter 5. Turn in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives us a good word here. I don't like this word, to be honest with you. I, in fact, I, I never have just really rejoiced in it, uh, but I've learned what it means. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Wait a minute. The very fact that he's my enemy means he's aroused sinful passions in me, by and large. And the Bible says I'm to love my enemies. Yes, I'm to bless those who curse me, do good to those who hate me, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Translated, that means you praise those who curse you, you bake chicken pies for those who hate you, and you pray for those who take advantage of you and you just love them by praying for them. That's what it means. Now, in my nature, my sinful nature is not to do that. I don't want to love my enemies. You do me in, I'm going to do you in. My sinful nature says, I'll get even with you. Maybe I don't get mad. That would not be spiritual, but I do get even. And that's my sinful nature. Now, I've got to commit my works to the Lord and obey. God says, love your enemies with action. Commit your works to the Lord, and then your motives and your passions will be established. I have found that it is far easier to love my enemies once I've learned that principle. I remember when I first learned the principle of spiritual breathing, and I made a commitment to God to confess every known sin as soon as I knew it was sin. I would confess it to the person. And I spent most of my first few days confessing to my wife and to my secretary and to everybody around me. I was just confessing all the time. But you know what? I didn't feel like confessing, but the more I confessed, the more conscious the Lord made me of wrong and of my sin, and the Lord established my motives and my thoughts so that a godly habit came out of that, and that was think before I speak and make sure I'm saying what the Lord would be pleased with so I don't have to confess it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit when I do that, God produces that godly behavior, and the godly behavior produces godly feelings. Let's take Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. Turn back to Daniel chapter 1. Do you remember? This is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. In Daniel 1, the king demands that all of these captives who are working in the king's court will eat the meat that has been offered to idols. And verse 8 says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, 
delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. So he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He didn't want to eat the meat that had been offered to idols. And he said, can I eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days? And the king's courtier said, oh, no, you will look sallow, and I will be blamed for your bad condition. But Daniel committed his works to the Lord, and God established his motives, his thoughts, his feelings, and the consequences. So that Daniel uh, worked that out with a steward, and in verse 15, at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And at the end of, of all of that time, Daniel was 10 times better, verse 20, than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. And he ate vegetables for three years. When you commit your works to the Lord and you do what God has instructed you to do, and what God has called you to do, God establishes your motives, your passions, your feelings, and brings them over, swings those evil passions over under the Lord. This is practically what the Lordship of Christ means. It means that as I obey Christ, even when I don't feel like it, He brings my passions, my desires, my motives over under in line. They're established, they're set and made certain in line with the will of God. Now, there are three rules that are stated that I would state with this uh, illustration of the principle. The first is a rule of action. I must act on God's commands, and He will produce the proper feelings. Remember that feelings always follow behavior. If you sit around waiting to feel better in order to do something, you might be th there forever. The Scripture says, no, commit thy works to the Lord, do what God has commanded you to do, and as a result, you will feel better. I tried to teach each of my children how to make their beds. They tried to get away without it when they were home. But I found that if I caught them going out the door when they didn't make their beds, I made them go back and do the beds, and I helped them until that habit was established in their life, and they felt good about themselves. After Steve was married to Cheryl, I remember she came to me one day and said, I so appreciate your teaching him how to make a bed and do dishes and load the dishwasher. Amen? Amen. Never make apologies for helping your children to do what God has instructed them to do until they can decide for themselves, build habits. My thoughts determine my actions in certain instances, but my actions in other instances will determine my thoughts and train my thoughts to be godly, godlike, and God-pleasing. Secondly, there's the rule of feelings. Feelings follow obedience so, I'm now going to build onto the idea of action. I must take action on what I know, and the result is feelings, which leads me to the third rule of time. Let the moment I know God's command and God's instruction, let that time become the moment of obedience. Should I wait around until I feel exactly right with Scripture, or should I obey? And I know there's a matter of timing, but in personal matters of obedience... Obey God when you're aware of it, and let God deal with the results and the passions and the feelings and the motives. Too many of us sit around waiting in the Christian life for everything to be exactly right, when what God wants more than anything else is our obedience, more than our sacrifice. He wants our obedience. Now, let's sum this up. Four things happen when you implement this principle. 
The first thing is that godly truth must be received. In the mind, I receive godly instruction. Love your enemies. Hold your tongue. Be slow to anger. Now, whatever your sin is, look for a scripture or an instruction that relates directly to that sin. Godly truth must be received. That's why we go to Sunday school. Do you young people ever wonder why you go to Sunday school? It's to get godly truth. Do you wonder why you come to worship? To get godly truth. Why do I do Bible study? To get godly truth. And that truth leads me to a commitment. Secondly, godly action produces godly power. When I commit my works to the Lord to obey what God gives me to do, the result is I release the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit automatically empowers me to do what is right. I believe obedience leads to filling. I don't think you need to beg God to fill you. I don't think you need to beg God to give you the fullness of the Spirit. When you make a decision to, to obey God, like the early church did in Acts 4, when Peter and John had been detained, the church came back and prayed, and they said, let's get right back on the streets, even though they threatened us. And the minute they said, let's get right back on the streets, the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them with power. And I think when I make a decision that I'm going to do what God has called me to do, He automatically fills me with His power. Godly action produces godly power. Now, here's the third thing. Godly power produces godly feelings. You have no idea what happens to us when the Spirit of God takes over our lives. We've got God's truth. We've committed ourselves to action. God fills us with power to do it. I'll tell you, there's a miracle that takes place. When I'm under the hand of God and God is empowering me, as Martin Luther said, God's command is God's empowering. When that happens to me, I have this enormous sense of contentment and satisfaction that my life is consistent with what God wants, and that produces an enormous amount of, of, of sense of joy and sense of contentment and sense of, of uh, happiness. The fourth thing is godly feelings will then reinforce and produce godly habits. So that what I want to do, I've now committed to do, the Spirit fills me to do it, produces feelings, and because God gives me the feedback of those feelings, He now starts creating a habit in me. And so those old sinful passions, the habit is built by those sinful passions coming over here under the Lordship of Jesus until what God says in His Word is now carried out in my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm beginning to get victory over that particular sin which I've committed the works of to the Lord. Now, this is true in witnessing. It's true in marriage and loving your wife. It's true in taking care of your children. It's true in confession of sin. It's true in treating your family, getting along at work, having to do with people who have already tried to do you in. I challenge you today that Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, died not only to forgive your sin and to cleanse you, but He died to give you victory. And if I am crucified with Christ, then I must find a practical way for, Christ, for my life to be crucified to the effects of sin. And the practical way I do that is I refuse to follow my passions, sinful passions, which lead me to sinful behavior. But instead, I commit my works to the Lord and my thoughts and motives and habits are established. God wants you and me to have 
victory. We do not have to go on forever slave to sin, being mastered by sin. That's the principal message of the deeper life, of the Spirit-filled life. And I challenge you to see the cross of Jesus as a way to victory, and not just the way to forgiveness, but the way to victory. Amen and amen. Let's stand in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in your power and your goodness. And I ask that you bless and keep us in your care today, that you show us how we can follow you and have victory over sin. And Father, if there are those here today who have never committed their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord, never received forgiveness of sin, speak to them and draw them to yourself and draw those who need a church home to take their stand with this church family. In Jesus' name, amen.